Welcome back to Is It Horror? I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitz. And I'm Steve. If you haven't joined us before, our whole thing is overthinking media. Usually we've been doing movies. Eventually we'll delve into some other things. We analyze them and decide if we feel they qualify as horror or not, and we look into why that is or why that isn't. Before we get into the movie that we're covering, Joe has kind of a get-to-know-you question for everybody that we'll go through a little bit. Joe? Okay, so we've talked a little bit in the past about what got us into horror, and, um, you know, obviously we are all horror fans. There's a lot of people who aren't, though, uh, my wife included. So one thing I was kind of thinking might be interesting to talk about is why we are horror fans and why we've why we got into horror, but then also why we have stayed in horror. What's the draw for us? So yeah, I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on that. It's cheaper than therapy, for the most part. And uh, I think it's a really interesting and, and accessible way, especially now with the way that how you can just get your hands on media wherever, whenever. It's a good way to address maybe the darker side of humanity and the capability therein with, you know, being very safe. It's kind of like going to the aquarium and seeing the shark up close, but knowing that there's lots and lots of plate glass between you. I don't know. It's safe and it's fun. Yeah. Okay. I can relate to that. For me, like I've said before, I'm kind of a late bloomer to horror. I didn't really get into it until a little bit later in my 20s or so. I think one of the reasons I like horror is I I ended up kind of feeling like there's a lot of metaphor in horror, specifically kind of like uh, people facing their own mortality uh, and what they do in those situations and kind of the inevitab inevitability of our mortality. You know, a lot of the classics, a lot of the good horror, I think, has kind of that feeling to it and kind of an unstoppable force to it. And, uh, you know, this is happening and like, what do we do about that and how do we cope with it? The other thing I like about horror is kind of um, seeing what people are capable of, like on the darker side, but also on like what people do when they're presented with those darker sides. Uh, you know, we usually have somebody who uh, figures out how to cope with it you know we have a final girl who perseveres and like you know they figure out a way to deal with this and to face these things to varying degrees of success and uh, you know outcomes but still I think it's an interesting perspective and an interesting commentary on us as mortals so uh, for me I used to hate horror because uh, when I was growing up, I was like scared of everything, but I kind of wanted to watch horror because my brother was always watching horror. So I, <laughs> I was like, I want to be cool like my brother. And so um, zombie movies <laughs> was kind of like my gateway drug into horror because I really got into zombies. And I used to be terrified of zombies even too when I was little, but I got over that fear. And then more recently... Uh, kind of through streaming, I was kind of afraid like to play games like Resident Evil and things like that. And I was always like, oh, this is not going to be something that I'm going to be able to get through. But then I started playing those games and playing games like Dead by Daylight, if you're familiar with those video games, and then kind of getting an interest and then started watching those movies myself and finding that I really enjoyed 
all kinds of different genres of horror. I'm not really big on ghost movies, but pretty much everything else in horror. Um, I kind of enjoy the struggle of good versus evil and seeing people overcome um, things like that. And also laughing at people who do stupid stuff in horror movies and get themselves killed. And that's kind of like where I've landed with horror. It's definitely been a long journey, but I'm more into horror today than any other time in my life. So my answer isn't nearly as deep as the rest of y'all's answers. I've never really been that scared of horror movies. They don't really scare me in the way that they scare other people, I suppose. I mean, I get jump scared like everybody, like most people, I should say. They don't stick with me after I watch them, but I really enjoy the adrenaline that they give you while you're watching them. And especially, I don't think there's anything like watching a horror movie for the first time. I think there's like, you can never really watch it in the same way after the first time because you're sitting there. And for me, I really like to, especially the ones that are always provoking questions like, who is it? Why are they doing that? What is it? You're sitting there trying to guess and your heart's pumping. And especially this project, the Is It Horror Project, has been really fun for me because... I grew up in the 2000s. That's the horror I'm familiar with. My first horror movie that I ever watched was The Ring and followed by The Grudge. So that's the era of horror that I grew up with. So a lot of these movies, like the one we're talking about today, this is my first time watching them. And I, I was just like pumped the entire movie. So I guess my answer is I enjoy that it's a safe way to like get your adrenaline fix. I think, honestly, I'm going to crib a lot of all the things that you all said, honestly. I think uh, part of it is the metaphorical nature of a lot of horror movies and being able to analyze death and how we deal with death, how we analyze fear and how we deal with that. I, I think echoing some of what Brianna said as well is the idea of being able to see the shark and having it in a safe place away from you while still allowing you to observe it. Uh, I enjoy the thrill of it. Like Mitz is saying, just that adrenaline rush that comes along with watching some of those things. And sometimes even for me with horror, it's a little bit like an endurance thing. Can I watch this and still, you know, sleep well that night? Will it bother me? I like that aspect of it. I think maybe part of it is a little bit, chasing a thrill because I remember that first experience watching Dawn of the Dead and how shocked I was by it and I think I had seen horror movies and scary things before but I think that one had really deeply affected me so I think the other thing that's interesting about horror is it's such a versatile genre that you end up with some of the most creative things that you could think of on film as opposed to other genres you know if you go into a romantic comedy you know what you're going to get if you go into an action movie, you still pretty much know what you're going to get. Uh, I mean, award-winning dramas, period pieces, things like that. It's Meanwhile, horror, on one side, yeah, it might just be a guy running around with a knife to kill you. But on the other side, it might be a possessed pair of pants. So you really have no idea what you're getting into. And it allows for a lot of experimentation. And I enjoy that aspect of it as well. Is there really something that has haunted pants? Because if so, please share with the group. <laughs> it's called slacks. Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Shut up. Goddamn right I Oh am. my god. 
God, I am clutching my pearls. No. <laughs> Dr. Seuss did it before any of these people because oh my lord, oh. the Sneetches book. There's a the whole Sneetches. story called the pants with nobody inside them, and yes, it's a yes. thing. Oh I my god! That and being creeped out by it as a kid too. So it was scary. <laughs> It's fashion horror. Oh, I'm excited now. Sorry to digress, but damn, that's awesome. Y'all made my day. Dude, there's all kinds of horror movies. There's one about a killer couch, a killer tomato. What? Killer. Yep. I have been living life under a rock. Oh, my God. A killer psychic tire. Yes. Oh, that. I remember that one. I did watch that. Wasn't that just called the Rubber? one was called Retired. Oh my god, <laughs> so bad. But yes, it was called, I believe it was called Rubber. Oh my god. But anyway, yeah, so I just enjoy that aspect of it because it's always a little bit of a mixed bag and you never know exactly when you're gonna, what you're going to get. And the other thing that's kind of fun about it too is so many actors and actresses and directors started out in horror. So that's always kind of a su- fun surprise when you go through a back catalog of a movie and you're like, Hey, what do you know? Turns out Kevin Bacon was in Friday the 13th and Johnny Depp was in A Nightmare on Elm Street and Jennifer Aniston was in Leprechaun and just you're it's always a surprise. Yeah, for sure. Those are all great answers. Thanks everybody. You're welcome, Joe. You're welcome. And how? Well, tonight's movie that we are covering, I'm going to put a huge old spoiler warning up for as well as for its sequels cuz I'm not saying we will talk a lot about the sequels, but we will probably at least mention them. We're going to be talking about Scream from 1996, and I will clarify because our very next episode, we're going to be talking about Scream 2022. Huzzah! Yay! I don't know about you, (laughs) but I'm feeling 22, 2022. Oh God, how many times are we going to hear that in the next month? (laughs) How many times do you want to hear it? (laughs) Once was enough. The limit does not exist. <laughs> you better mute my microphone now, then. <laughs> I edit you out of entire episodes. Like, it's, you were there for the Event Horizon episode. I just cut all of your lines. <laughs> <laughs> just all such bad takes. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little known fact for people who've been listening since then. <laughs> just cuts everything that he doesn't agree with. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what I do. I'm just... Wah-ha. Fascist podcast. Exactly. That's what I'm going for. It's that tone. But anyway, to go into a little bit about Scream, for those of you who are not familiar with it. So it was released in 1996. It's directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Uh, Wes Craven, for those of you who don't know, although I'd be shocked if you don't know, directed quite a few films. Some of the most notable ones be A Nightmare on Elm Street, The People Under the Stairs, The Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes. And uh, I also bring up Wes Craven's new Nightmare, even though it's also in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, because, well, I'll mention a little bit more about it as we get into this, but it's relevant to this conversation. As far as the writer, we've got Kevin Williamson, who he worked on the Scream series, obviously, but he also did I Know What You Did Last Summer, another really popular film from that era, as well as The Faculty. Uh, He also really made a name for himself in television. Uh, Dawson's Creek, everyone's familiar with that. He basically is Dawson. It's loosely based on his life experience growing up wanting to be a filmmaker. Uh, You also have The Vampire Diaries and 
tell me a story is a newer one that I haven't heard of, but uh, kind of a recent addition to his filmography. And then also we'll briefly talk a little bit about this one too, but he also worked on a TV show called The Following, which also has some relation to the Scream series. Wow. That's a lot more than I knew about. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) To give a kind of brief synopsis. Well, I'll go into a little bit of synopsis, at least where Kevin Williamson's head was at when he wrote this in the first place. He had been, as I understand it, watching a documentary, or at least I think a news item anyway, talking about the Gainesville Ripper, which is not a case I know a lot about, but as far as I understand, involved a college professor who had killed several students. And so he was a little bit keyed up and he had called a friend and they started talking about their love of scary movies and talking about slasher movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Friday the 13th. And through that conversation, he had kind of the seed of an idea and created a script, which at the time was called Scary Movie, which we'll talk about the Scary Movie franchise because they are definitely related a little bit there too. So he came up with that script idea and he was shopping it around and eventually I'm cutting out a lot of stuff, but anyway, found its way to Wes Craven as the director, which was an excellent pairing because it's hard to think of a movie like this. It's hard to think of the series without thinking of how important both of them were to the process. As far as the synopsis goes, uh, it is kind of the standard slasher movie setup. You have a masked killer who is running around killing teenagers in a California town of Woodsboro. And uh, your main character, Sydney Prescott, she had her mother killed under mysterious circumstances a year earlier. Now there is a killer that is coming after her, and eventually, what you we'll just full spoiler it, what you eventually find out is that it's not one killer, it is in fact two killers, and one of whom is her boyfriend, and that they have been planning all of this and modeling it after a scary movie. And of course, the MO for the killer is that they're calling and talking to their victims ahead of time, and they are referencing horror movies and asking them trivia questions when that happens. And uh, it's just an amazing movie, in my opinion. It's one of my favorites, and I'm really psyched that we're talking about it. Delightful romp all around. Woo. Very delightful. Huzzah. So, I think for the most part, I probably know what everyone's answers are going to be on this one, but let's go ahead and let's hit it up. What did everybody think on this one, if it was horror or not? Uh, this is for sure horror. Um, this may be one of, one of, if I'm, I'm willing to say it's probably the best piece of horror produced within my lifetime uh, that achieved this level of commercial success, which I feel like this definitely did revitalize the slasher genre for my generation anyway. So yeah, all the way horror, all the way. So uh, for me, this was my first viewing of Scream. Surprise, surprise, I guess. I don't know how I missed it earlier, but yep. Clutching my pearls. I cannot even. Really? How did you, how? How did you avoid this film for so long? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. So it wasn't on purpose. Like, I, I don't know. I was never trying to avoid it or anything. I just, I don't know, didn't come up, I guess. So 
That is amazing. Yeah. I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to hear what you think. Yeah. So I I went into it assuming that it is horror, and I do think it is horror. I think it is a little more horror comedy than I was expecting, and uh, I I really liked it. I thought it was a good film. I had a little bit of an experience that I've had uh, with like The Matrix before, where like with The Matrix. When it came out, it was revolutionary and I think changed a lot of things. And, um, you know, it was just this big deal when it first came out. And then after that, a bunch of movies did very similar things in the style of action and just what they were doing, what they were talking about and that kind of thing. And so I've had conversations, you know, decade, 15, now we're almost 20 years later. Or let's see, are we 20? Anyways somebody saw it later on and wasn't that impressed by some of the things that the matrix did just because it sort of became just the norm after after the matrix i feel like i kind of had a little bit of that with scream scream like did a lot of things that were unheard of at the time um, but since then other people ended up copying them a bunch and so nothing was as revolutionary for me um, because I had seen other things that had done that. I still, you know, really liked it and didn't really lessen the movie for me, but it didn't like necessarily blow my mind as much as I, it seems like it did for people at the time. Um, but yeah, anyways, it was a long-winded thing to say, yes, I think it's horror. <laughs> so long-winded. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, so for me, I was going into it thinking that it was horror, but I do think it's a little bit different from a lot of the horror that we've talked about so far. And I definitely think it's very different from most of the slashers that I've seen, kind of the slashers that sort of define the, the genre. I think it has a, a different feel than like your Halloween, even though it's highly referential to Halloween, it has a different feel than like Halloween or Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'll go into that more, but I definitely think it's horror, but I do think you could categorize it a little bit differently. Like it had me thinking about the idea of slasher films versus horror films and is a slasher film kind of its own category, or is it just a subcategory of horror? So this is kind of a long-winded answer, too. I know this is uh, not a place that we're supposed to be talking. Who talks on a podcast? But um, yeah. <laughs> Not us. It's something I've been trying to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so there's... <laughs> So I think there's a lot more nuance when you call this a horror movie. There's a lot more to analyze with it. But yeah, I do think it's horror. I'm going to disagree with you, Matt. Not on the horror aspect. It's definitely horror. But How I'm dare you? With you. I'm going to disagree and say that I think this is quintessential horror. Absolutely the definition of horror. Ooh. Those are big shoes. Like, wow. Very nice. Thank you. You're quintessential. I am quintessential. So I went a different direction with this. It is not horror. It is a comedy. No, I'm just fucking with you. It's horror. Oh my god. Wow. Wow. All right. I was, I was about to disown I you. I was, I was actually interested in what you were going to say after that. I was about to take my earrings off, Steve. That was that was unfair. <laughs> <laughs> 
waiting for an argument. No, I, yeah, 100% sure it's horror. I think that I've heard some people describe it as horror comedy. I've even heard some people describe it as just comedy. It's what you said. It's true. I heard you just say it. Um, I think think that, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to add, but I think the comedy aspect of this is extremely self-aware. It almost breaks the fourth wall sometimes because the joke is so very obvious. It's very, I felt like it was really well done and kind of smart in that aspect. It wasn't afraid to poke a little fun. Right. I think the jokes are what make it so charming. I think, I mean, I think it's, I, it's weird to call a horror movie charming, but I honestly, that's a word I would use to describe. It's definitely one of my new favorites. Because murder's cuddly. I think it's comedy kind of in the way that uh, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series was comedy, where I was still scared and it was still horror, but there's definitely like really smart comedy into it. Like if you told me that Joss Whedon had written some of this movie, some of the screen movie, I wouldn't I wouldn't be like surprised by it, you know? Yeah, and I think that makes sense, and you've got that concept as well, that Kevin Williamson, with his writing, he's sitting there and creating Dawson's Creek at the same time that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is coming out. So I think that they were both hitting on something where you wouldn't necessarily say that you hear kids talk like they do in this movie or like they do in Dawson's Creek or like they do in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but while you don't imagine they talk that way it still feels right so they're almost hitting on the concept of it without actually emulating it at least that's my opinion on it man Wes Craven really owns the 90s doesn't he he really do yeah and early 2000s so one of the things that I would say and kind of ask about this as well as where everybody comes at it Um, So this movie, I think that it's a satire of horror, and it does use those comedic elements. So what about this movie makes you say that it's not just comedy, it's definitely horror comedy if it's going to be branded as comedy at all? I think so. I think it's still definitely horror because, well, like we've already talked about, it's... uh, the comedy aspects of it are kind of breaking the fourth wall. And one thought I was kind of having about it is like Sydney, uh, Nev Campbell's character is in a horror movie, but Stuart uh, is more in a comedy movie. And it's like Stuart and Randy, like that. I don't know. It's kind of this weird, different filters uh, depending on the characters you're talking about. So I guess for me, like, the horror movie is like a hundred percent there. It's just this other stuff kind of on top of it. And it, it kind of looking at itself from a different angle, if that makes any sense. I agree that Billy and Stu are kind of like the comedic relief and and like a duo. Like they, they're like the nineties version of, uh, you know, the, the comedic man and the straight man in uh some like it hot jack lemon and tony curtis like that's the vibe i got from it it's almost slapstick at times yeah for sure i would also like to point out that henry winkler is in this so (laughs) comedy hey (laughs) i it's been a while since i since i've seen this movie i think i was very young the first time i saw it 
and I was just super hyped to see all these actors because, goddamn, it's like a like a who's who of '90s teenage movies and TV. Like so many of these people, like Drew Barrymore and Matthew Lillard and Rose McGowan. I'm like, look at all these people. So that was pretty delightful for me. I know that's not really on the question, but I wanted to add it. <laughs> also, like, I f- completely forgot that Rose McGowan was in this movie. Like, this is the era that I fell in love with Rose McGowan. She is she is everything. Yeah, she's in this and she's in uh, Jawbreakers as well. So she was kind of making the rounds on some of these TV Yeah, films. the Doom Generation. She had her little indie, like, season. I was Charm. pretty annoyed to see that she got killed off. Yeah, I remember at the time watching this growing up and also being really hurt that she died. I may or may not have written alternate fan fiction to that sequence once upon a time. Oh, because she totally was final girl material in every way, like modern final girl. Hell yeah. Well, Tatum, that was the character's name, right? Yeah. Hell yeah, Tatum for president. But I think the fact that... The fact that in this movie, and I feel like this is the first movie that I saw that sort of um, introduced this concept of literally no one in this film is safe. I love that. I mean, they, if I recall this correctly, they um, did press and everything prior to the release of this in December of 96, and they kind of let the public assume that Drew Barrymore was the lead, and then they fucking kill her in the first, like, five minutes of the movie. I remember sitting in the theater watching that and being like, (gasps) it was, it was pretty incredible. Was that a big surprise for people, all of you watching it here? Well, I was, I was telling Mitz, I was reading, like, the Amazon trivia while we were watching, and it was saying about how Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sydney Prescott and then they were and she was like I guess she was the bigger actor at the time so she was like well why don't you kill me off in this first scene and then nobody will know what to expect from there on out so that's kind of uh adding credence to what Brianna said Absolutely and if you look at the uh the posters and things that they put out at the time of the marketing they definitely put Drew Barrymore front and center they did a good job with that, but we were also kind of talking during the movie. It kind of goes along the same line of thinking. Um, Matt and I were talking about how when the killer killers were revealed, Matt mentioned like I can't, I just can't see Matthew Lillard as that kind of character, and I think oh that's my god, what make, makes it so brilliant because it's like it, yeah. it really like it's scary how somebody was so. In the background the entire movie. Um, not in the background, but you know what I'm saying. Like, so unexpected ended up being the the guy. And he, first of all, he nailed that role. I, his his laughter and his just manic psych, mm-hmm. psychosis, I guess, was just brilliant. Matthew um, Lillard then, can do no wrong. I'm team Matthew. <laughs> I was going to say, like, because you mentioned no one is safe. Well, that, that kind of, like, you know, rem- that reminded me of that conversation we had, like, Nobody is safe from the unexpected killer. I mean, I don't know. I thought that was a really good choice. So I guess for me, this being my first viewing of it, like to your question, Steve, like I wasn't surprised by it. I mean, I went into this movie having not seen it, but having pretty much all of it spoiled for me, I still kind of knew what was going to happen. Like 
But that being said, like, I think this movie did a really good job at like subverting your expectations. And uh, it did a really good job of like, A, not be sure who's going to get killed, but also B, not being sure who the killer is. And like some of that was really good. And some of it, like I ended up feeling like the whole town was either sociopaths or psychopaths and i felt like they did that in order to mask the killers but like everybody has a little bit of this i don't care about humanity um attitude i felt like so i don't know i ended up still knowing who the killers were but like it was kind of this weird thing that was just throughout the whole movie that that i i guess at least i felt like was there yeah i think that's definitely one of the things that they were going for. And of course, Randy spells it out for you in the video store scene, right? The whole formula. It's a very simple formula. Everyone's a suspect. So you have to make everyone seem as though they could be the killer in this scenario so that they can kind of maintain the mystery going throughout the film. I feel like the moral of the story is maybe Sydney should have just dated Randy because I feel like everyone would have survived then. She should have just listened to Randy. Just saying. Yeah. Date the dude in the video store. Just do it. It is the way. It is known. I really liked Randy's character. <laughs> I was going to say, every, almost everyone in this room has sat down and watched a horror movie with my brother. And I was thinking, I was like sitting down thinking, this this is like, this is like my brother. This is like sitting down watching a, a horror movie with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. But it's it's funny because when I watched this, I really didn't know that much about horror. And I don't think that I had watched most of the films that it was referencing. Now, going back and watching it today, I think I've watched just about every one that it references. But yeah, at the time, all the stuff that it was, you know, critiquing and commenting on was were just things I'd heard of. And so it's yeah, just it was funny a, how a lovely little with it. It was sort of a lovely little reader's digest of, oh, you think you know horror? And then, like, dropping all these little Easter eggs throughout that, like, as you watch the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should check that reference out or something. Because I did the same thing. I had not heard of most of the films and wound up watching a lot of things that were mentioned in there because of Scream. Yeah, and sitting there and, you know, watching it the first time, be like, oh, I didn't know Jason wasn't the killer in all the Friday the 13th movies, and now sitting here and being like, yeah, he's not the killer in one or five, so there's that. <laughs> I mean, I, I immediately started watching it, and, you know, the kid's name is Billy Loomis, right. and, you know, later afterwards at the beginning, he the dad tells the mom to go to the Mackenzie's. There's, like, yep. so many... And, like, the... All the like it I loved so much how they synced up the Halloween scenes and like sounds from the movie and the soundtrack with different scenes. Yeah. It was so good. Like it was so like I was half expecting Michael Myers to slam through the door and start killing everyone, you know? (laughs) And from like a cinematic perspective, there was some really cool shots juxtaposing those two things. That's like the nerdy film side, but I mean, yeah, really, I agree. Really cool shots. I mean, I there's a couple... always have a hard on for some good juxtaposition. Anyhow, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> juxtaposition. Ooh. We can, we oh, I forgot where I was going with this. 
quintessential quintessential 50 cent word day check us out we're winning the I hell out of English scrabble <laughs> that's a q and an x <laughs> there was a lot of scenes in this movie where um it makes you like literally clutch the edge of your seat like when um when Casey's getting murdered and her parents are coming home and like she kind of almost sort of makes it around the house and the shot kind of pans and switches angles so that <clears throat> you go from Casey's point of view to her parents' point of view and that was really visceral for me because I was like, oh God, if only she could just scream. And it's for me, it's moments like that that truly make a horror movie. Like, am I immersed in the scene? Am I, am I feeling tension and fear and things like that? And most of this movie did that for me consistently. So for you, you would say that that's kind of the thing that makes you sure that it's a horror movie is the tension throughout the film and that feeling yeah. of being on the edge of your seat for that reason. Right. And also maintaining it because you can't watch a horror film, or at least I can't, I can't watch and enjoy a horror film that has me tense the whole time because eventually I'm going to become numb to that and stop experiencing the movie. So a good horror movie has to scare the shit out of you multiple times in like a crescendoing sort of manner and order in order for it to be effective for me. I don't know. It was well-paced. I like it. What other things about it would all of you say makes you sure that this was a horror movie? Why is there no doubt in your mind? There were some scary shots, to be honest. I mean, there were some actual, actually horrific shots, like at the beginning with Casey hanging from the tree. That was actually scary, like genuinely. Yeah, the effects were pretty graphic. There was, there was some other this other shots that actually, you know, jolted me. I think maybe at the very end when it flashed him on the screen again. For one final scare? Yeah, for that one final scare. One thing that I think that makes it solidly horror is, like, the danger is real. Like, in some comedy horror that leans more into the comedy side of things, it's like the danger is maybe not as real and you're never you're never too worried for our main characters or anything like this but with this movie it's like yeah like you know they kill drew drew barrymore in the first scene like they set that expectation of like yes people are gonna die people you like are gonna die and you know characters you like are gonna die so that uh reality of it makes it just very horror for me the other thing that i liked about this movie is like how much like Ghostface kind of gets beat up throughout the movie like he takes bottles to the face and like gets knocked down <laughs> a whole bunch like as opposed to some other horror movies where like the you know the killer like is sort of like a, this immovable object that like you can't do anything to i liked how this one how like it it's it's more real that way it kind of ups the ante in that way. I mean, there's a lot of ways that this movie comments on the slasher genre, but that's definitely one of the things that you think about the big three of slasher movies, right? Is even when Jason was still technically supposed to be alive, you really couldn't do much damage to him. I mean, the guy takes an axe to the face in part three and keeps on coming. And then Freddy was supernatural from the get-go and then Michael Myers, his whole thing is supposed to be that he is 
really tough and takes a lot of damage. I mean, Loomis says that he shot him six times. Whether he did or didn't, I suppose, is up for debate, but it looks like he's reacting to those shots. And so you're getting these killers that are taking so much damage and just shrugging it off. And sure, as kind of Joe and I talked about behind the scenes with this, the killers aren't, you know, bruised up or anything. They're not showing up to school with a broken arm the next day, but they're kind of maybe not defeatable is the word, but you can hold your own against them if you needed to. If you happen to have a gun, if you had to have, if you happen to have a knife, then you could be on even footing with this killer. And that, and that like ups the suspense on it. Right. Cause like the garage scene when, uh, you know, Tatum gets killed. Like I, I wasn't sure if she was going to get killed. Cause like she does hold her own for a while. And like, I thought like there's a real possibility that she could make it out of this but you know she doesn't end up making it out but like she could have like and i would have believed it i think um another cool choice that this movie made was making it two killers and two high school students because the whole time well other than you know ghostface not kind of he's he reacts to being hit and stuff he reacts to being attacked but there is that kind of element throughout the whole movie that he is some somewhat supernatural. The fact that he can move so quickly and be everywhere at once isn't later explained by the fact that he's actually two people. I thought that was... I think it's actually scarier that way because at the end of the day, these are just literally two high school boys. That could be anybody. Yeah, that whole idea that it could really happen. Yeah, exactly. I was going to kind of take that point and compare it to like some other movies that we've talked about where if you wanted to argue against this being horror, which I don't really think you can very effectively, but you could take the point that there is nothing supernatural happening in this movie. It's just two deranged high school kids who are seeking revenge. So I kind of think for me, a lot of the horror of the movie kind of goes away once you have the Billy and Stu reveal at the end, like you're kind of just, it just kind of becomes like suspense action. Like, is she going to, how's she going to escape this at this point? And there's more horror for me when they're still in the masks is what I'm getting at. I think in that way, it kind of references the thing that they're trying to do and talk about in the dark Knight trilogy. I assume if, well, I was going to say, I assume everyone here has seen that, but maybe they haven't. But anyway, you know, you've got Bruce Wayne as Batman talking about that same idea as that anyone could be behind the mask. And as a person, you can ignore them and they're just a person. But as a as a masked figure, they're something above that. And so it's easier to be afraid of that. And of course, there's always that concept, too. And I think that that's part of what makes this a horror movie is there is always that fear of the unknown which goes back to the thing that Mitz was talking about earlier, right? Is that idea of the first time you watch a horror movie, it's more effective than the second, the third, the fourth time. Every time you rewatch a horror movie, while it's still effective, you still may enjoy it, it's never as effective as the first time because once you get those answers, once you know who's behind the mask, then that knowing it, that familiarity takes some of the edge off of that feeling that you're getting yeah and kind of where i was going with it earlier too is this is different from almost every other slasher there because 
there's really kind of no question that these are just normal boys at the end of it. And so that does make it a little different. It's still horror, but it's, I know in previous episodes we've talked about like horror sometimes incorporating a supernatural element. And I would say that this is a prime example of something that's definitely horror, but has no supernatural element to it. Something I was thinking about when I was watching this, actually, I was more thinking about how I was going to answer Joe's question. What do I like about horror or why do I like horror rather? And I came to the thought that a lot of the reason that I like horror is that suspenseful um, sitting on the edge of your seat trying to figure out the answers to the story, which kind of leads to the question, is mystery an element to horror? Like, does that does a horror story have to have mystery in it? Because it seems like most of the suspense in a horror movie comes from not knowing either who it is, what it is, how do you get, how do you stop it? All of these questions. I was just going to say, I don't know that the mystery is a key component, but suspense absolutely is for me for it to qualify as horror. Yeah, I would say there's definitely mystery in, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and even, like, Friday the 13th, where there's not really any mystery at all in Halloween. It's just nobody really cares why Michael's doing anything. It's just he's there and he's attacking and that's Or maybe the mystery is where he is. (laughs) That's fair, yeah. Where he gonna come next. I think there really is something to that, because that was the thing I was thinking, too, is uh, I think that you don't necessarily have to have a big mystery, but I think, again, it comes down to if you want to inspire fear in your audience, then there has to be some sense of the unknown. I mean, you can tell them a little bit of what you're planning on doing and how you're going to execute things, but they have to be able to be taken off guard, you know? And so those little mysteries of where is the killer, I think that that does play into it. I think that is part of it. Yeah, I think that's definitely a valid point. And and I would also add that that kind of bleeds into, if you're talking about, like, where is the killer going to be next, that that's like a very commonly used horror element is the feeling of never being safe or taking places that you would normally feel safe and making them unsafe. Yeah. Prime example being it's like the grudge. The home invasion aspect. A... <laughs> yeah, you're, the home is not, the home is your safe place. Or the grudge, your safe place is under the blankets until you get attacked under the blankets. So that's like very prominent. Taking a place you should be safe and then, yeah, taking that away from you. And then you do have some of these sequences too where people get killed during daytime hours where traditionally you'd think like, okay, yeah, that's, that's not a place where someone's going to get killed. Exactly. Um, I think Stephen King does that a lot in his books too, taking situations where you'd normally feel safe and turning them into, and flipping that on its head. So there's like, that's, I think that is definitely a, a major theme in almost any horror is making somebody feel uncomfortable in some way, making them feel unsafe in a position where they traditionally would be feeling safe i haven't always known how to say it exactly but it's not 
for me, one of the key things that makes it horror is at some point in the movie, like that feeling has to come up. And I, I don't know, it's different with different movies, but of like just that feeling of unsafeness, that feeling of like that question mark, like, or like unease, I think I've described it before. Like just the movie has to have at least one like significant moment like that for me. And to round that all off, <laughs> Scream does that a lot. Yeah, for sure. All I was going to say is I think another thing, at least for me, that I think clearly puts this in the horror category is just using the subgenre of the slasher movie. I mean, it makes it clear that its intent is to be a slasher movie. It's referencing specifically slasher movies as often as possible. I mean, it mentions other horror movies, but more often than not, it's slasher movies. And since slasher movies are traditionally part of the horror genre, at least that's how I look at it, then I think it's easy to say, okay, well, we're using a horror genre as a template, so you can know that this is a horror movie too, as it's following that same idea. Or do you think that it's possible to have a slasher movie that's not necessarily a horror movie? That is a good question. I think the only exception to that rule would be like, is it a police drama situation? Because one could feasibly argue that Seven is a horror movie. I will go to my grave contending that it absolutely is the fuck not. But we can save that for another episode. But for me, that's an example of, okay, that's now outside the circle in ye old Venn diagram far enough for me to be like, nah, not horror. But you would say that Seven is a slasher movie? I think so, because it centers around... I would consider it slasher because of how grotesque and involved and like set up the it's it for me seven was sort of like the cop drama version of saw before saw happened like it was kind of a precursor in that way it's like saw from the other perspective (laughs) correct you got it yep you nailed it i would agree with that i think the thing for me i guess that i would say makes that maybe not a slasher movie or not a horror movie not to dig deep into seven necessarily although i think that would make for a great episode sometime in the future is because you are showing it from the other perspective, it kind of goes back to, I, I know a couple of you there weren't there for the Green Room episode, but one of the things that came up with that one is that we ended up feeling that it wasn't so much horror because you got to see too much behind the curtain. You got to follow, you know, the, oh, yeah. the mm-hmm. bad guys, the killers, see what they're doing, see how they're planning. And in some ways, I think I would agree that I don't think that Seven's necessarily a horror movie, I maybe could be persuaded, but I think part of it is because you're spending so much time with the procedural side of catching the killer that even though you never right. see the killer to the end, that it's right. it takes that away from it. And it doesn't follow the victim. Correct. The victims are incidental. We don't know the victims. They're just part of the workload. At least that's how it's presented. You meet them when they're dead or just as they're dying a lot of the time. Exactly. I think um, an interesting take, because the following is sort of related to the Scream series, would be uh, to talk about the following as like, okay, well, this is sort of a police procedural, but also sort of a horror. I don't know. What's your take on that? For those that have seen the following. 
as much as I'm a fan of Scream, I haven't seen it yet. I will at least put some context in there for people that aren't aware. So Kevin Williamson worked on the following as well. And he had an idea for what Scream 3 was previously going to be, which was going to be this idea that uh, Matthew Lillard, Stu Mocker's character comes back, that he survived, mind you, and that he was... Basically oh my God! Please <laughs> make this happen. Maybe. What do we? What do we need that to crowdfund? Please. <laughs> yeah, I and it's too bad that it didn't happen. But yeah, he was gonna he was gonna come back and he was going to basically orchestrate this hoax around attacking Sidney Prescott. So it was going to be this whole uh, art imitating life, imitating art sort of scenario, right? Because you've got the original killers imitating movies that they saw. And then by the third movie, you were going to have students being led by one of the original killers to imitate the real life killing that they committed based on their viewing of horror movies. And so as I understand it with the TV show, the following you've got that you basically have someone who you can correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, Matthew, because you've seen it, but you know, somebody who is, in prison leading sort of a cult-like situation yeah that's exactly right i it just made me think of that because we we're talking about can a police movie be considered a horror movie and i think if you watch the following which the following is definitely very very good and worth watching for anybody out there that is on the fence about it that one is really debatable is this horror or is this a police drama I think my input is going to be, especially based with Seven as an example, in order for a police drama to be a horror movie, I think the police has to be a victim also, or an attempted victim. Like, horror movies have to be... I mean, the main character, the protagonist of a character, the horror movie has to be a, a victim, right? Of the horror, or the attempted victim. Or in danger in some way. Right, in my opinion. I think that's a lot of what makes Seven not a horror movie for me is the idea that they are, while they are clearly at some point, spoilers for Seven, where they are clearly at some point hunted, you don't experience them being hunted. They are the hunters and you're following them. And I feel like that gives it a different tone. So can there be police procedural or police involved in horror movies? Absolutely there can. I think a lot of the Saw series actually does that. Most of it, you end up following mm -hmm. cops along the way, right? So that's it's definitely yeah. possible. But I think that it ultimately comes down to how they're used. So like you said, some of the victim of the horror. So I guess this is me long-windedly agreeing with you. <laughs> Man, you're going to have to cut all this out if we do seven. That would be a good episode. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we might have to come back <laughs> Maybe. <to that. laughs> I... Kind of on that same uh, thread, I think the difference between like being a police procedural and horror is maybe just the idea of if there's like a whole swarm of cops, things feel a lot less hopeless. I mean, just in general, a lot less hopeless and a lot less dangerous if there's like cops and things going out. But like when you look at Saw... It was cops, but it was cops that were being victimized by the horror. Yeah. Like like, like has been said. And cops that were in a helpless kind of situation. So I think that's kind of the difference is that, hel that helpless feeling and that feeling of real danger 
where cops traditionally in movies are tending to provide a sense of security. And I think maybe that's part of what we're looking at, too, is like you do have police officers in horror movies plenty of times, right? Like you've got the dad in Halloween is a cop and then you've got, you know, the police is an ever present thing, especially during the whole finale of A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think part of the thing that makes Scream a little bit different is that the cops that you deal with are presented in a way that uh, the really efficient ones don't have a lot of screen time and they're kind of painted as suspects. And the cop that you spend the most time with in Dewey is painted as really new and kind of inept. And you're not looking at him as, you know, a force of nature or even someone that's very adept in his profession. So he's as in danger as anyone else. If you're not thinking of him as a potential suspect. Resident Evil's about cops. That's another example. Also, that movie was something. The new one? Yeah, the new one. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, No spoilerinos, but we'll it be, was something. Uh, we'll be discussing that film on our next episode of Is It Horrible? Spoiler alert, yes. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's unfortunate, but it's uh, apparently in good company because as much as I enjoy the Resident Evil movies, there's a lot of bad ones. Yeah. So I guess the other thing I was going to bring up too is there's this the whole concept of satire versus parody. So I think that, at least for me, a quick definition of those would right, be that satire is critiquing the thing that it's engaging in whereas parody is making fun of it and i think we've talked about it a little bit before in previous episodes whether or not a parody of something can also be that thing so a parody of horror can it also be horror can a satire of horror still be horror i guess where do you guys weigh in on that and do you feel that scream is especially satire or do you think that it's more parody uh, the answer is absolutely and faux show in that order. It is both. I really, I really do think that this is a good example of exactly what you just stated. It can absolutely be the thing that it is also making fun of and critiquing at the same time. I don't. I think it's more parody because I think those nods to those horror movies are meant to make you chuckle, but I don't think it's a parody in the sense that it's making fun of. I guess it's poking fun of, but it's also honoring them in a way, you know? Case in point, though, when, sorry, when when Jamie Kennedy is laying on the couch going, come on, Jamie, turn around, turn around, like yeah. that right there, that was pretty perfect. That was it. That was it. That was it for me. Absolutely. And then you've got like people in the movie watching it on the screen the same way that they'd be watching a right. movie saying the same kinds of things. It's comedy horror parody inception. It's delightful. Totally delightful. Yeah, it's definitely both. And Wes Craven and the Wes Craven and the Freddy Krueger sweater as the janitor in the hallway. Come on. Oh my god, the Wes Carpenter references? I die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I think that's one of the other things too it was worth mentioning about Wes Craven's new nightmare and bringing that up because that movie is really metatextual too before this movie even comes out cuz it's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Freddy Krueger in it, 
but it takes place in the real world. So you don't have, you've got the actress that plays Nancy, Heather Langenkamp, you've got Wes Craven in there playing himself. And they're basically like, yeah, we're in the real world. And uh, there's a demon that's inhabited the identity of Freddy. So it's playing with those same referential concepts just a few years before this comes out. So it was a good fit for Wes Craven to be doing this movie because he was obviously already thinking along those lines. And I think that's one of the things that makes this movie different from a lot of other slasher movies that you see too. And the thing that everybody started doing afterward is the idea that you have all these slasher movies, but everyone who's being killed in the slasher movie exists in a world that doesn't have slasher movies where this is the first one you're like, all the characters have seen the horror movies that are being emulated and referenced here. And so, yeah, they keep calling all those things out as they're happening because, you know, they've seen it. They've seen it all. The killers have seen it all. They're emulating it. The victims have seen it all. They're commenting on it. Which I think that's, to me, what makes it satire rather than parody. How do we all feel specifically about how this movie addresses um, kind of the pop culture of murder or... um, I, I guess sort of a it, – it really presents the media and the town as a whole as being pretty callous to what's going on and sort of just being in it for the entertainment value and being the first uh, on, like to know so-and-so. I sat next to her in English class. Oh, yeah, were you close? Well, sort of. Well, not anymore. Like that kind of vibe. I don't know. Did that ring true for anybody else or was I totally overthinking that and probably had too much wine? No, Like that was one of the things that I – I guess I I was thinking about and I kind of mentioned a little bit where it's like I feel like everybody in this movie was a little bit of a sociopath like to have like your classmate murdered and then have kids running around in ghost face masks like it, it was kind of kind of crazy that way. Don't you find teenagers to kind of be those sort of folks though? Like come on, we all went to high school. Come on, we know. It, it's it's true, but I felt like it I don't know, it kind of like amped, amped that idea up a little bit. Like, I, I don't know, like, I felt like they had to like make it a little more than reality on that just to make it so that Stu and Billy didn't seem quite as guilty because you still, you even had like Tatum joking about some of that stuff. And like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, there was this very, you know, 90s vibe of boys will be boys when it came to Stu and Billy. You know, it was like, oh, ha ha, look at them. Psycho killers. Aren't you cute? Lucky you've remembered your hair gel. Like, I don't know. It was just, they. I don't know. They were sort of anti-heroes, kind of. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you pointed out uh, the 90s vibe because I was gonna, just going to say that a, a long, go, to go along with the conversation about them being extra callous, and you could tell me that I'm wrong because I was just a kid in the 90s, so I could be totally off base. But I feel like during that time, people were just cynical. You know, they were just more cynical and less uh, empathetic. So to me, that's kind of what I was picking up with them just kind of like talking about these murders like they're just whatever because I feel like people were more like that. That wasn't cynicism, honey. That was grunge, and it was fashionable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's plenty of uh, pretty cynical and uh, non-empathetic people these days. (laughs) True. 
there's a couple things that I was thinking along those lines. I guess one is even in my lifetime, I feel like our society, at least in the United States, because that's my only country of reference, I guess, for my personal experience. But I feel like when I was growing up, mental health issues were something that were mostly swept under the rug, mostly not talked about and not taken serious. And there was a lot of that mentality of, yeah. you know, rub some dirt in it. And I feel like it's not perfect and we still have a long ways to go, but I feel like we're in a better place than we were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago in that regard. And that a lot, there's a lot more of a vibe of, hey, take those things serious. They do matter. So yeah. I could see maybe some of that callousness maybe showing up around mourning and tragedies where you're almost sitting there and saying internally to yourself, I might look weak if I am bothered by this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to add to that idea, though, uh, when Mitz and I were talking about how there were real crimes that were inspired by the Scream movie, um, and I was looking it up, there was all kinds of Oh, yeah, Cassie Stoddart, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. there were all kinds of these copycat crimes that happened afterwards for years and years after. So I think that kind of does add some credence to that idea that of what Mitz was saying. Yeah, the whole art imitating life. What is it? Well, there is a line that don't blame the horror movie. Yeah, that one. Go ahead. That's where I was going. Just make killers more creative. Yeah. Yeah. I also really liked you. You can't pick your genre. (laughs) If only. This movie was full of really excellent one-liners. Truly, truly excellent one-liners. But I gotta say my my favorite one and what like clenched this as a movie that I will like now. <laughs> I mean I, I like it for a lot of reasons, but like as as I was watching, I was like, all right, what's the deal with this movie? But like when they're in the movie store and like um Randy's explaining everything and he's just like, There's always some bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. Yeah. And then the, the like girl in the background just like <laughs> lifts her head up and like they never like <laughs> They never recognize it and like she's like they never even like focus the camera on her but she just like looks up and kind of walks off like that was one of my favorite moments <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I oh man, that whole video store scene is just great. The whole movie's great, mind you. But anyway, you could point out any scene and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that one too. That one's amazing too." Uh, The other thing I guess I was going to say as well is not to get heavy on it, I guess, but, you know, so the idea of everyone being a bit callous in the town and maybe not taking things seriously. A few years ago, I would have told you, you know, if you brought that up, I would have said, yeah, I I would agree with that. I that it seems unrealistic that these people would just have this real sort of gallows humor about it and down to maybe not even caring, making fun of it, even as it's happening. But I mean, the world that we live in today and some of the things, you know, this might date this if people are listening years later, but, you know, looking at the pandemic and everything that happened during the course of 2020, I think that you do end up having that. You have people that are right next to people experiencing terrible tragedies, sometimes literally, you know, like I've, I've sit there at work sometimes and have that situation, you have people making light of it and saying how unimportant it is. While meanwhile, some cases literally sitting next to people that have lost family and loved ones 
to the pandemic. So I think as much as I would like to sit here and say, I agree with you, I don't think people would really act that way. I think maybe I have more of a cynical opinion of people now. And I think maybe that there are people that would do that, people that would feel that way. And on one side, just making fun of it because it's not happening to them. On the other side, maybe on the more hopeful side, they're just dealing with it through gallows humor because they can't fully mm -hmm. accept what's happening. Or like also just straight up victim blaming. Like, you know, everybody can find a reason as to why the victim deserved to have it happen or was involved with someone they shouldn't have been or, you know, good old fashioned slut shaming, whatever have you, whatever the 90s calls for. Which is a way of making yourself feel safe, right? Because you'd say to yourself, right. I see this terrible thing that happened. I see this person that was hurt, that was killed. I can come up with reasons that they earned it in some way. And I don't do those things. So yes, I'm making light on the surface. But internally, I'm coming up and telling you all the reasons it will never happen to me so I can feel safe again. And then it comes full circle because even though the horror movie within the horror movie says you abide by the rules you live, everyone is suspect, no one is safe. doesn't matter if you play by the rules. And that's part of the reason that the movie feels so tense, right? Because it's sitting there, it's critiquing right. all of the rules in yeah. all of the slasher movies you've seen, and then it makes those things uncomfortable by not following them. Exactly. Because I think that the true essence of a horror movie is the character's lack of control. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, hits it right on the head. Like one of the things that makes this horror is the lack of control by, um, by our characters. They're telling you all the rules, all the things that it should follow, and then it's not, and it doesn't matter what they do. And I, I think that's another thing, too, is lack of control, but also the thing that this movie was critiquing about previous slasher movies is the state of slasher movies up till that point as you were getting to the spot where you didn't care about the characters that Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers were killing. They were basically just thinly veiled characters to kill. So the subtle right. critique going on of the genre within this movie is that it does go to an effort to make you care about everybody, even just Casey Becker in the first scene, you feel for her, you care about her, you can empathize with her. That's why the death matters, why it affects you, not just that it's Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I was super hurt when Van Guy died. Yeah, we were oh, like... Oh, Van Guy. <laughs> we really had a connection with the cameraman because he was just slamming some Cheetos. And then, you know, that's just sad. <laughs> he didn't need yeah. all that. I think you hit on something, Steve, when you said that like the movie went out of its way to make you connect it with and be invested in almost every single character in the cast. And I was thinking, is a component of true horror its ability to make us feel? Does it need to does it need to inspire something emotive? Do you have to connect with the characters in order for it to be horror? I think it absolutely does. I would agree with that. Because the cynicism you're describing that was reflected in old slash sl slasher flicks, like this movie, as you said, turns it on its head, makes fun of the obvious shortcomings of the genre. It sort of twists it around and makes it fresh and new. I don't know. Thoughts on that? Or did I go off on a tangent? You can tell me either way. Well, we, we care about uh, 
about Laurie Strode. It's just we don't care about nearly anybody else. So <laughs> there is still the element <laughs> yeah. of like caring about them. It's just this like this movie definitely makes you care about every single person that died. Like even when Henry Winkler dies, you're like, shit, he died? Like he has Not this the cool fans. moment. You know, like even beyond him being the Fonz, he has this cool little moment <laughs> where he's like scolding these kids and they're stupid and he's like being all like badass holding a knife to a kid's neck. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, it was the nineties, that's what you did. <laughs> and and he's railing against the same cynicism that we're talking about, right? It's right there in the movie. We're talking yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. These people are so unfeeling, and then he's railing against that exact same thing along with you as the audience on some of the people's mentality that you're seeing in the film. Exactly. So it's easy to care when he dies. Yeah. Everyone everyone in it you care about, except maybe the boyfriend in the beginning, I guess. <laughs> That's true. Yo, Billy Loomis is hot garbage. Oh, he definitely is. No, I mean yeah. the boyfriend. I mean Drew Barrymore's boyfriend. Steve Orith. Oh, yeah. S- Steve. He doesn't get to do anything except for struggle in a chair. But I know that he's big and he plays football and that he'll kick the shit out of you. <laughs> he really likes Jiffy Pop too, but he didn't get to God have damn it. Right? Did they oh. even make that Jiffy Pop anymore? Because I really wanted it, and I was sad that it burned. I feel that was wasteful. I'm pretty sure that they do. I think I've had some recently. I've never eaten that Jiffy Pop while watching Scream, and I just realized that that's on my bucket list now. <laughs> yes, that that should be an experience. I agree. We we did roll out of the Night of the Living Dead cemetery on neutral, so... <laughs> Goddamn right we did. <laughs> and I like to think if there's an afterlife, George Romero was smiling down on us. <laughs> Still the only celebrity whose death brought me to tears. I cried for that man, and he deserved it. <laughs> Briefly back to the, like, just... Uh, caring about the characters thing. God, that... fine, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> cool. Just gonna say that brings me back to kind of what I said at the beginning about why I like horror uh, is like because it's a metaphor and because it sort of face or forces you to kind of think about your own mortality and like if you can put yourself, you know, in the shoes of these main characters or at least be in a place where you empathize or care about these characters, then it, you know, it matters to you that they're facing death and it matters to you what they do about it. And like, you can, you know, relate to that. I hate to reference the scream TV show because talking about hot garbage, but uh, there's that whole, there's a whole speech at the end of the first episode too, where you have a character basically saying those same things, right? Like, you have to care about all of these people. You have to care about their lives or it's it's not effective. And kind of talking about a little bit what I was talking about last episode you know, during the Die Hard episode is part of what makes something horror doesn't is the whole conversation, right? So there's the intent of the people making it, there's the product itself, and there's the experience with it. And so, yeah, we have to be able to engage with it, I think, for it to be horror. That's part of the conversation. We have to receive that message. And I think in this case, it's easy to receive that message, to be concerned, to take that up and have that feeling. Yeah, for sure. 
Does anyone have any other thoughts? Nope. Great movie. <laughs> Everybody's highlights were a little bit brassy, but I'll give it a pass. <laughs> <laughs> they were looking a bit too 90s. It was before they discovered, you know, toners and glazes and, you know, things that help that cat pee thing. <laughs> At least there's nobody in full-on Jinkos or anything like that as far as the clothing styles go. Hey, 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 hey. That is still a fashion choice that if they made them in my size now, I would probably still be wearing them. Don't <laughs> don't come for my Jinkos, Steve. No, no, no. I want to be friends. <laughs> Play nice. Yeah, you should get yourself some Jinkos and then you can put like a Jocelyn <laughs> in your pocket. Oh my God. Gosh. Oh, Jolt Cola. There's the whole thing will fit right down the, the right leg. It'll be great. Oh man. Those I, things were awesome. I love Jolt Cola. I still do. If I could get it easily, I would. I think it's funny about the fashion though. Like it felt like, Maybe only Rose McGowan and Matthew Lillard were actually in 90s fashion, and everybody else was like just in neutrals that were off the shelf from the wardrobe. But those two were always like big 90s vibes. The fashionistas. Yeah. Yeah. Her fits were pretty good. I don't know. You've got Randy's different colored shoes. Yeah, I was going to say Randy could be the other exception, too. He definitely... But Jamie Kennedy, if you look at Jamie Kennedy at any time during his life, he just looks like he's from the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) You're correct. (laughs) Yeah, I can't disagree. It made me miss video stores. Me too. I miss them a lot. I miss Blockbuster, man. I always preferred Blockbuster to Hollywood Video. They always had better popcorn selection and better candy. That is straight up facts. Just saying. I miss the little hole-in-the-wall rental places that weren't even the corporate thing, the mom-and-pa places oh, where yeah. their dog yeah. might be running around. Yeah. like, oh, yeah, this tape got dropped in water. Hopefully it's still cool. Yeah, there's, like, SpaghettiO stains on the title. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when, like, they could smoke in the back room and it would just reek, like, cigarettes and SpaghettiOs? It was great. The thing I remember about them, too, not that, like, it's not nostalgia about it, but it was always weird, too, is, like, you always had in the non-corporate ones that weird, creepy, one-person-at-a-time adult section in the back of them. Yes! That was always so weird, and you're always, yes! like, half the reason you're in the store is to watch and see who comes out of there. <laughs> yep. You just hang out by the entrance. And it never had a door. It was always like a really dirty purple or pink curtain. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> and like it was roomed off with plywood. Yes. But if there was a curtain or a piece of plywood, it only covered you like the old timey saloons. Like you could clearly see from like the thigh down and from the cranium up for every single human being. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Privacy, my ass. Why I don't know why I missed this. <laughs> it's just funny talking about it. Like, you know what I miss? The the weird corner of the the adult section. I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> you had to leave your house for porn back in my day. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't mention old video stores without mentioning the back room. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Stupid internet ruining people feeling awkward and getting up the courage to go in there. I don't know if you have to just be you're like, you know what? I am too horny to not go in there. This has got to happen. I didn't come this far to not leave without Debbie Does Dallas 5. And then there would always be like the totally empty jackets for the VHS tapes because somebody went in there and totally stuffed one down their pants and left with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Good times. That's this whole vibe. It just brings it back. Good old scream, bringing that feeling back. You were the one that stuffed those down your jeans, weren't you, Brianna? Tell me. Uh, Your jinkos. Your jinkos. I can neither confirm or deny this information. They are quite spacious. It definitely wasn't me, but you can fit 24 VHSs and some Jinkos. Just saying. Size 12. That's a very exact <laughs> number, sir. I feel like that only what? comes with experience. Hmm. What? <laughs> Incrimination. Oh, man. I'll never tell. Any other final thoughts? 10 out of 10 stars. Decent soundtrack. Terrible highlights. Go watch it. Yeah. If yeah, you definitely. haven't seen this movie, definitely go watch it. It's... It's just an amazing movie. It's one of my favorite horror movies. I understand. It's, I think Joe mentioned or Joe mentioned earlier for sure, talking about the idea of some of these concepts might feel dated now as you're watching this movie because honestly, everyone copied it for so long and there's it changed what slasher movies were. It changed what horror was. This was a big deal and a lot of the stuff that you are seeing in it, you've seen it a thousand times now, but this is what started it. Yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, then, like, I don't know what your deal is. Like, come on, guys, it's been out for for forever. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be real embarrassing to be part of a horror podcast and not have seen this. And at this point, while we're talking, still not have seen the sequels. Man, that would be just so embarrassing. It really would. It really would be embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Rude. Don't worry, we'll fix it, Joe. We'll fix it. I'm getting there, guys. I'm trying. It's a safe space. We love and accept you. And all joking aside, you can still be a horror fan and not have seen this. You can be a horror fan and not like this. Our point is not to gatekeep. You like whatever you like, and that's perfectly fine. But you better be able to argue your stance, just saying. Yes. The only knock that I'll give on this movie is that there were zero bare breasts in it. So it was, you know doesn't really fit the slasher genre just gonna it's say. a critique. so does it actually qualify as horror then if there are no boobs is it horror i don't know they went out of their way to be like oh and here's the gratuitous nudity and then they didn't show it on purpose exactly yeah, i don't think that's a great argument <laughs> no it is it's a critique on the fact that slasher movies always showed boobies and there was no reason for it and they bring it up and then they don't do it they subverted expectations it's still horror you monster <laughs> <laughs> well let's just say that they were they were more progressive in the idea that you don't have to show naked boobies to be to draw attention to your slasher film so agreed if you show naked penises, does that make it a slasher movie? What genre of horror regularly, routinely shows naked penises? Isn't it the Hostel series? <laughs> if, if you pause the movie just right, you can see Tom Cruise's penis, right? Is that Tom Cruise they say in the movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the right moves. <laughs>
If you watch all the right moves and have all the right pauses, supposedly you can see it. That's what I'm going to be doing next. I assumed as much. Okay, well, thank you for joining us for the Scream episode of Is It Horror? We're going to be back in two weeks, and instead of debating whether or not it is or isn't horror, although I'm sure there will be a little bit of that discussion, we're going to be talking about and just reviewing Scream 2022. By then, all of us will have seen all the previous Scream installments, is at least part of the plan. And uh, So, uh, yeah, join us next time. We'll be talking about Scream 2022, and uh, thanks for joining us at this time. Okay, bye. Peace. Bye. Bye. Goodbye now. Farewell. Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Do you just want to say hi? You can follow us at Is It Horror on Twitter. We have a Discord server coming soon. You can also email us at isithorrorpodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is it horror?